turn again in our Bibles to uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, and I'll read uh, this morning verses 14 through 21, uh, Galatians chapter 2, 14 through 21. These verses are, are just so rich <laughs> uh, with content. We're, we're going to uh, slow down a little bit in our series on Galatians and spend uh, at least a couple more weeks after today looking at these verses. So, that being said, we're not going to get into all of the details of the verses I'm about to read, but instead we're going to focus and we're going to narrow our focus uh, to the second part of chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, Big idea for the next couple of weeks is Uh, In verse 20, Paul gives us a description of the Christian life, and we want to explore that description uh, together. The Christian life, Paul helps us understand, it's defined by, shaped by, governed by our relationship to Jesus Christ. And Paul uses uh, three prepositions, right, three prepositions to describe uh, our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ that we want to reflect upon together. Let me just mention them up front here. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul's speaking about himself, but of course, by implication, this is true of every Christian believer. I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, Christ lives in me, and the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. So, with Christ, Christ in me, Christ for me. And to better understand our relationship to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as as believers, we're going to think about each of those statements. And and our goal is to, to grasp the dimensions of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I think when we do that, it will have at least three consequences. Um. What, what secures your standing before God and therefore your fellowship in the church? The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? What, what defines your identity in a society where so many of us are struggling with the question, who am I? What defines your identity as a Christian? I have been crucified with Christ. That's what defines my identity. And what hope is there for transformation in the Christian life? Real renewal and change, but Christ in me by his Holy Spirit. And so we're going to explore each of these great gospel realities together and today think about Christ for me. But before I read the passage, I better pray for us and ask for God's help. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the richness of your word. Every bit of this passage is the breathed out product of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for bringing the gospel to us. So many of us here this morning of of Gentile stock and for tearing down that dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles in Jesus Christ. We revel in the fellowship that we have through the Lord Jesus, not only with you, but with one another this morning. And today we pray that the risen Christ, by the Spirit, would open up his word to us today 
and be our teacher. And that, Lord, we would receive this word in faith and be changed by it. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Let's hear God's word. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that is Peter, before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, and I think that should be in quotation marks as the NIV has it, uh, if we, were, we too were found to be sinners in Christ, then a servant of, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then, right, then Christ died for no purpose. Well, I wonder how you would answer this question uh, today. If someone were to ask you, what's your relationship to Jesus Christ? What comes to your mind? Just mull that over for a minute. What's your relationship to Jesus Christ? I could be wrong, but I think, uh, I think a lot of people would be uh, prone to respond something like this. Well, uh, I believe Jesus Christ is, is God's Son and my Savior and Lord, so I'm, I'm trusting in Him, seeking to walk daily in repentance. I, I, I study His Word, I spend time with Him in prayer, and I seek to live as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's just a guess, but I think some people might respond that way to the question, what's your relationship to Jesus Christ? But if you think carefully, that doesn't actually answer the question, does it? it, it it's just a description of, of things you do because you are related to Jesus Christ. I think here in verse 20, Paul describes for us in one of the most succinct and helpful ways what our relationship to Jesus Christ actually is by grace. And did you notice as we read it um, and as I talked about it, that first of all, it's not initiated by our activity. Rather, this is all God's activity toward us and his work uh, for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is it that defines uh, our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul tells us in those three phrases, you've been crucified with Christ. Christ now lives in you and Christ is for you. That is what defines a believer's relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore it defines all of our lives and our existence. 
So what, what is the defining reality of your life as a Christian? You have been crucified with Christ. We'll come back to that uh, probably next week. And, and, and what hope is there for conformity to the likeness of Jesus Christ as you live by faith, but Christ in you, the hope of glory? And, and what is it that, that undergirds and supports and, and gives you security and assurance in the Christian life but the gospel reality that the Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. Those three statements, my friends, they will get you through the Christian life if we hold on to them in faith and live in light of them. And so today, I just want to take the one and think about Christ for me. With the Apostle Paul, every Christian believer can say with Paul autobiographically, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And what I want to do today is I just want us to simply savor that reality. I just want us to dwell on it and think about it. If you're interested in taking notes, we're going to think about the wonder of Christ's love, the uh, activity of Christ's love, and then the object of Christ's love. So first of all, the wonder of Christ's love. Paul says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And my friends, that, that statement should floor us. I mean, it, it, it's mind-boggling when you actually stop and you think about what's being said. I read this week uh, about a, a famous theologian of the 20th century being asked a question at some you know, public place. Uh, Sir, what's, what's the most profound theological thought you've ever had. Okay, and this is, this is a, a guy who's written, uh, you know, oodles of books and has uh, supposedly a major influence in systematic theology. And uh, he was asked the question, what's the most profound thought you've ever had? And you know what his answer was? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? Here's this guy that's dedicated his life to studying theology, and he says the most, you know, the most profound thought I have ever had in my entire life is a truth that we teach our children. Jesus loves me, this I know. But that raises a question, what makes this, this idea so profound, so marvelous, so wonderful? And I think the answer to that, at least in part, the reason why the love of Christ is so wonderful is because of who Jesus Christ is. In other words, the the wonder of his love is related to the identity of his person, the greatness of who he is, his majesty and his glory. See how Paul describes him here, I think intentionally, the son of God. The son of God loved me. The son of God who was who is with the father and the spirit from all eternity. The son of God who is of infinite majesty and blazing glory, the Son of God who created all things and for whom all things were made. He loved me, Paul is saying. Go to another place in Paul's writings where I think Paul's reflecting on this idea, the wonder of of Christ's love for his people in Philippians chapter 2, that famous passage. And you remember where he 
he says that uh, Christ who was in the form of God. That is everything God is. Christ was, is, and ever shall be. He who is in the very form of God did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But what did he do? He, he emptied himself. Not by, not by making himself less than divine. Not by uh, setting aside his deity. But what does Paul say? But by taking on the form of a servant. The form of a slave. And as a servant, he served uh, in life but he also served unto death. He, he laid down his life and Christ as a servant died accursed. He didn't just merely die as a servant. Jesus as a servant was cursed. But God raised him up. You remember how Paul then rejoices that he, he's, Jesus Christ has been exalted. And, and it's at the name of Jesus Christ that every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow and say that Christ is Lord. And Paul is saying, take all of that in and then say with the Apostle Paul, that Christ loved me. That Christ loved me. The glorious, triumphant, victorious Son of God. The, the King and Head of the Church. The one who created all things and for whom all things were created. Christ loved insignificant me. And so if your faith is in the Son of God, you're able to say today, the Son of God loved me. And my friends, if we really, I think if we really took that in, if we really came to terms with that gospel reality, it would get us a long, long way in the Christian life. It would, it, would, it would undergird us, it would support us, it would secure us. But I know at times uh, some of us have, have wrestled with the question, does God really love me? I mean, you know, Pastor Jared, what you're saying is great. I know it's in the Bible, but you don't, you don't know my personal struggles. You don't know my story. You don't know what uh, I've done. God God can't possibly love me in that way. You see what this passage is saying, though? The Son of God loved sinners. And what I want, well, here's what I want to say to you today. As you, as you wrestle with that question or you thought about that question in the past, the gospel says to you, remember the love of your Trinitarian God. Remember that it was while we were yet sinners that Christ gave his one and only son. And it is by the spirit that the father pours his love into your heart. And Christ has shown his love for you in coming into this world and laying down his life as a servant. So the wonder of this love, it's related to Christ's identity. But here's the second thing I want us to see. It's also connected to how he has shown his love for you. See, Christ's love here is shown in action, isn't it? That's the second thing I want us to consider, the activity of Christ's love. Uh, I think this, is just, I, this, this shouldn't be a reminder for any of us. We, we all know this. But how, how do you know that someone loves you? How, how do you know that 
uh, a family member loves you? What if, hypothetical, what if they said, as a matter of habit, every evening before going to bed, I love you, but then in their daily lives, they, they never actually did anything that communicated care and concern and real affection. Well, what you'd have to say eventually is those words are empty and meaningless. Those words ring hollow because love is shown in action. And do you see how Christ's love for his people and behind that, the Father's love for us is shown in Christ's activity. He doesn't merely just say to us in his word, uh, beloved, uh, you know, I love you, and that's the end of the gospel. No, Christ says, I love you, and okay, let's ask of this question. How do I know that? How do I know that Jesus loves me? And the gospel comes back to us and says, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave himself for you. And so the wonder of Christ's love, it's not only related to his identity, but also to the activity of his love, the way in which his love is manifested. You know, sometimes we talk about people with this kind of language, though. And it's, a, it, it's, it's great. It's a great compliment to say of someone, you know, they, they really give themselves. We talk that way, don't we? Um, we should say first and foremost about... Uh, 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 the ladies here at the church, moms and grandmas, how, how their love is characterized by giving themselves for their family members. And husbands, your love ought to be characterized by giving yourself for your bride. Um, I, can, I can say about our ruling elders here at the church, they give themselves for you. You know, they give up, they give up time and, and other things they could be doing, not begrudgingly, but because they love and care about the, the flock here at Trinity Presbyterian Church. Those are all just examples of, of uh, self-giving love. But what I want to say to you is that Jesus' self-giving love is unique and excels them all. He didn't, he didn't love merely by serving. He didn't love merely by making a few sacrifices here and there. He loved, what's the language? By giving himself for me and for you. And uh, the Apostle Paul fills that out earlier in Galatians. I think it's uh, chapter 1, verse 4. He expands on that. The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. As John says in his gospel, chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. I think to really appreciate this idea, Christ gave himself for me in love. I think we've, we've got to wrestle with what that actually meant for the Lord Jesus. And what, what was Christ giving himself to? I think just one word that I mentioned earlier before we read the Gospel of Mark is the word substitute. When we say that Christ gave himself for me, we mean Christ is my substitute. Christ took my place. In my place condemned he stood. I want you to think about, uh, uh, just to, to illustrate that point, I want you to think about a lawyer and, and, uh, and their client for a minute. All right, and this client is guilty. Right. This, this client has done something wrong and they're in a just court of law. 
And what this lawyer does is uh, he decides, I I'm going to take the place of my client. And he takes the place of the accused. He says to the judge, my client, the, you know, the, the, the plea is guilty. <laughs> but I want to take your pronouncement, your verdict, and its consequences, and I want to receive them in myself, in my own body. I want to take your pronouncement of guilty and its just consequences and receive them myself. And the client goes free. Dearly beloved, that's, that's what Jesus Christ has done for you in the gospel. He has, he has taken the guilt of your sin and has uh, said, I will stand in his and her place and receive all of its consequences. And that means as our substitute that God condemned your sin in Christ. Christ bore your sin in his own body on the tree. And, and that's where all of God's condemnation fell. That's where the curse fell. That's where all of the wrath of God on your sin was poured out. It was poured out on Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. So Christ took your place as the accused. He took your place in condemnation. And he took your place in receiving in his own body the just judgment of a holy and righteous God against your sin. That's what it means that Christ gave himself for you. He was judged on the cross so you wouldn't have to be judged. He was he was cursed so that you would not have to be cursed, but you could receive blessing from God. He was condemned so that you wouldn't have to be. He became, friends, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became something his Father couldn't even look upon for you. That's what he did for you in the gospel. That's what he did for you on the cross. And so when we say, Christ gave himself for me, we are saying, Christ is my substitute. Christ is for me. Christ became sin for me. He became a curse. He became abhorred by God as he bore in his own body our sin. So although Jesus was innocent, he gave himself to the cross. Christ loved you. This is what the gospel says to you. Christ loved you by becoming a curse for you. That's how much he loves you. All right. So the marvel of Christ's love has to do with the majesty of his person. It has to do with the activity of his love. And then the third thing I want us to think about this morning is the wonder of his love is also connected to the objects of his love. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Now before we make this about ourselves, remember who's writing this. This is Paul, right? This is, this is Saul of Tarsus who breathed out murderous threats against the church of Jesus Christ and sought to destroy her. This is Paul who raged against the Christian church and was more zealous than anybody else in pursuing its destruction. This is Paul who earlier in Galatians chapter 1 said, 
I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. This is, this is the man who, humanly speaking, more than likely came closer than anyone else in history to blotting out the church of Jesus Christ from the face of the earth. Do you catch the wonder of this? Paul was a terrorist. That's what Paul was. And now here is Paul saying, the Son of God, he loved me and he gave himself for me. And so Paul understood how wonderful, how, how full, how packed full of wonder the love of Christ is and, and, and how filled with wonder we should be when we, when we think about the gospel. That the Son of God loved me and gave himself to the cursed cross, to becoming condemned, to having the holy wrath of God poured out upon him. That's how much he loved us. We marvel at the love of Christ because of who Christ is, because of how he loved us, and because of who he loved. And, and so if you're trusting in Christ, think about it, with Paul, for, for all of your sin, for all of your failure, for all of your wicked rebellion, for all of your selfishness, for all of your idolatry, for all of your unworthiness, for all of your insignificance as a speck of dust upon this earth. Christ loves you. And he has shown that love by laying down his life for you on the cross. And in a way that secures your eternal blessing. But I want to come back to that struggle that I know we face as Christians. Struggling to really come to terms with this. To really believe this. That Jesus Christ loves the likes of me. Could Jesus ever love me is a question I think we've wrestled with. Well, just to respond to that, there's a lot we could and should say, but I, I just want you to remember some characters of the Bible for a minute. These are folks that God has set his saving love upon in, in Jesus Christ. Noah. You know, here's Noah who experienced the delivering, redeeming grace of God, and what does he do? He gets drunk. Moses, he loses his temper with the people of God. Uh, Rahab, the former prostitute. Uh, David, I'm just highlighting the, the big names here. David, the adulterer and murderer. Peter, who feared man and denied his Lord and Savior. Paul, who, before he became a believer, was fine holding coats while people stoned Christians to death. These are the kind of people that God set his saving love upon in Jesus Christ. Don't ever doubt that you are beyond the saving love of, of Christ, my friends. Another thought I had uh, this week, and uh, this is what I want to encourage us to do as we wrap things up this morning. I'm convinced that we do not dwell upon the love of Christ often enough in our lives. That we don't, we, we don't saturate ourselves in it. You know, I think, uh, well, let me just use an illustration here. Uh, Kelsey discovered my eating habits when uh, we were married after, I think, a couple of months. And uh, she, she quickly figured out that when I have a, a dinner plate, 
I eat all of the stuff that I want to get out of the way, and then I savor what I like most, right? So, you know, I devour the vegetables, uh, and then I get to the good stuff, and I, I spend my time on the good stuff. Well, just, uh, just last week, this doesn't have anything to do with dinner, but Kelsey made a peach pie, and, uh, and I love, I really like pie, by the way, and it was a really good peach pie. So, you know, after dinner, I would get out a piece of peach pie. What do you think I did? Did I just scarf it down and say, oh, that was good, thanks, and walk away? No, what I, you know, I, I would take out a slice of pie, and I sat there, and I took these, you know, the tiniest little bites that I could, because I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to savor it. And what I want to suggest to you, friends, this morning, is that there is nothing, nothing better than the love of Jesus Christ. And what we need to do in our Christian lives is learn how to savor the love of Christ for us in the gospel. How often do we do that? How often do we savor the sweetness of the love of the Son of God who gave himself for us? I think if we did that, one of the things we'd have to recognize is that our lives would be changed. Uh, our lives would actually be uh, constrained by the freedom of the love of Christ for us in the gospel. That's what Paul says happens in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And Paul's not talking there about... Uh, the believer's love for Christ. He's talking about Christ's love for the believer. And Paul says it's, it, it's such a great love that that love constrains us. That love controls our lives so that our lives are now lived out and out for Jesus Christ alone. And I, think, I think Zacchaeus is, is a great example of this. Came across this uh, during the week. I think it was Sinclair Ferguson telling the story about Zacchaeus, you know, this unloved, actually despised little man because he was a tax collector. And nobody wanted anything to do with him except his dirty, rich friends. And what did Jesus do? He, well, he showed him love, didn't he? he Zacchaeus, I'm, I'm going I'm to go into your home and I'm going to have fellowship with you. And what was the result of it? The love of Christ completely transformed Zacchaeus's life as he began to walk in repentance and was gripped by the love of Jesus Christ. And so I think when we understand the, maj the majestic Son of God who loved us by giving himself to the cursed cross, when we really meditate upon that and we really dwell upon it, our lives are inevitably going to be changed by it. And the closing question we can ask ourselves is, so how then shall we live and it's, right there, it's at the beginning of this verse, isn't it? The Christian life is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's not a passive thing, dear friends. It's not a blind, irrational leap in the dark. It is casting yourself upon Jesus Christ who has revealed himself to you in the gospel. It's trusting in the person of Christ and living every single day in believing dependence upon him. Paul puts it this way, we walk by faith, not by sight, trusting in Christ's merits alone for salvation, 
and his word alone as the rule of our lives. Well, next Sunday, we'll come back to uh, verse 20 and think about another one of these gospel prepositions. But let me close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for revealing your love for us in sending your Son. And Christ, we thank you for showing your love for us in laying down your life and Holy Spirit. We thank you for shedding that love abroad in our hearts. Assure us of your love for your people today and help us, Lord, to be secure in your love and to respond by giving our whole lives to you, recognizing that there is true freedom found when we are constrained by the love of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.